ever looked at uh, other religions or other philosophies and wondered if maybe they're right and Christianity's wrong? Or maybe if they're right too? Religions like, say, for example, Unitarianism, which is an open-minded and individualistic approach to religion that believes in the oneness of God and the unity of humanity. That is a tremendous appeal, doesn't it? Maybe Hinduism, on the other end of the spectrum. Hinduism believes in a pantheon of gods. Karma emphasizes spiritual growth through meditation, physical Or maybe even on the other end of that spectrum from Hinduism, Zen Buddhism, that doesn't believe in a god per se, but that we achieve enlightenment by looking inside of ourselves and we gain ultimate freedom freedom through total spontaneity. Or maybe you've that looked at those who uh, seemingly laid aside religion altogether. But they think deeply, they do good, they work hard, they enjoy life. Have you ever thought that you might be wasting time living according to the narrow views of Christianity? One God. An ancient book, the Bible, as the authoritative revelation of that God and His Son, Jesus Christ, as our only hope in life and death. Well, in our sermon text today, the God of the Bible prophesies the future downfall of every other religion and calls everyone to turn from their gods and turn to him for salvation. And my prayer is that every one of us will do just that. That we will turn from every other god and turn to Him for salvation. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 45 and 46. This is our 25th study in Isaiah, out of about 40. In this section of Isaiah, chapter 40 through 46, 48, Uh, The same message is one long looping chain of thought. It's just repeated over and over again, linking, continuing, reinforcing, repeating. Here's the message in a nutshell. It's got about four parts. God promises to redeem his people. He says that he's going to 
free them from captivity in Babylon, and he is going to forgive their sin. He promises to redeem his people. And then God prophesies his plans for the future in order to show that he's God. So God makes this promise. He prophesies it in the future in the future to show that he's God. And then God fulfills his prophecies through his providence. Even his very strange providence, like using a pagan emperor of Persia, Cyrus, to redeem his people and free them from captivity, like we learned last week. So God promises, he prophesies, and then he fulfills his prophecies through his providence. And he does all of this with one overarching purpose, to demonstrate his glory, to demonstrate, as he says over and over again, in fact, about 30 different times in this section, I am the Lord, there is no other. Chapter 40 through about 48, 30 times God makes that statement in some form or fashion. I am the Lord, there is no other. And so God promises to redeem, prophesies it in the future, and then uses his providence to fulfill his promises all for the purpose of demonstrating his glory that he is the one and only God. Last week we saw all of that looping, continuing, and that God pressed that implication onto Cyrus, Israel, and the world. He says, Cyrus, I'm doing this so that you'll know I'm God. There is no other. To the nations and to Israel, he says, I'm doing this so that you will know. I'm God, there is no other. Now this week, at the end of chapter 45 and all of chapter 46, God speaks directly to those who, quote, manufacture idols. Those who worship other gods. And to his people, two audiences those who are idol manufacturers and his people. And he tells both of them that I am going to free my people so that you all know that I am the Lord and there is no other. So our sermon text, the end of 45 and all of 46, can be divided into three parts. I have provided notes for you on the back of the bulletin. Uh, If you didn't get one of those, or if you want to write in your ESV journal, which, by the way, if you don't have one, we have several copies left, please take one, along with the official Winchester Baptist Church pen. This sermon text can be divided into three parts, and here they are. Number one, part number one. God prophesies the future of the idol manufacturers and their gods, as well as the future of Israel and her God. This is what it's going to look like in the end. This is the future for all of you. 
Part number two. After he does that, God calls the idol manufacturers to turn from their idols and turn to him for salvation. And then after he does that, God looks at his people, eyeball to eyeball, all of chapter 46, and God calls his people to turn from other gods and trust him. It's as if his people are weary with their God. It's as if the people of God are looking at all of the other nations and saying, you know, I wonder if they're right too. I wonder if maybe they're right and we're wrong. I wonder if I'm wasting my time with one God, one ancient book, one Messiah coming in the future that we've never seen. God says, I'm going to show you the future. And then I'm going to call you to turn from every other God and trust me. All right, there's the sermon in a nutshell. Let's go. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 14 begins our sermon text. I'm going to read all the way down through the end of 46. It's a long text. But get your copy of God's Word out, and let's read this together. Pay attention, maybe circle some things as you go along, and uh, and then we're going to come back and we're going to unpack it into those three parts, okay? This is the Word of God. Thus says the Lord, The products of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabians, men of stature, will come over to you and will be yours. They will walk behind you, They will come over in chains and they will bow down to you. They will make supplication to you. Surely God is with you and there is none else, no other God. Truly, you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, Savior. They will be put to shame and even humiliated, all of them. The manufacturers of idols will go away together in humiliation. Israel, Israel has been saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will not be put to shame or humiliated to all eternity. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He's the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it in a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in some dark land. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in a waste place. I, the Lord, Speak righteousness, declaring things that are upright. That's part one. We continue part two, verse 20. Gather yourselves, speaking to the nations, the idol manufacturers, verse 20. Gather yourselves and come. Draw near together, you fugitives of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idol 
and pray to a God who cannot save. Declare, set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back that to me every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him, and all who were angry at him will be put to shame. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Part 3, chapter 46. Bel has bowed down. Nebo stoops over. Their images are consigned to the beasts and the cattle. The things that you carry are burdensome. A load for the weary beast. They stooped over. They have bowed down together. They could not rescue the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. You, who have been born by me from birth, and have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you, and I will bear you, and I will deliver you. To whom will you liken me and make me an equal? And compare me that we should be alike. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver on the scale hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. They bow down to it. Indeed, they worship it. They lift it upon the shoulder and carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It does not move from its place. Though one may cry to it, it cannot answer. It cannot deliver him from his distress. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established 
and I will accomplish all my good pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly, I have spoken. Truly, I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely, I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn-minded who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. And I will grant salvation in Zion and my glory for Israel. Amen. So the historical context here is that the people of God, as this is being written, are hearing the prophecies, the word of God, through his prophet Isaiah. This was well before God already told them, you're going to be destroyed by Babylon. Jerusalem is going to be ransacked. Babylon's going to take you into captivity, into their uh, land far away. But I promise you, I will free you from captivity in Babylon, and I will forgive you of the sin for which I am judging you. So God has already prophesied the captivity in the future and the freedom from captivity. Aren't you glad about that? God has done the same for us. He's already talked to us about our captivity and promised deliverance from us. Freedom and forgiveness of sin. Here in this text, the end of 45 and all of 46, what God is doing is saying that I'm going to do all of this so that two people, two more people in a long line of people now, in a long chain of purposes... Two more kinds of people will know something. Here, in the focus of this text, God speaks to those who manufacture idols. The nations and all of their gods. And then he speaks directly to Israel and her God. So those are the four players that we are going to see over and over. On this side... We have those who manufacture idols and all of their gods. And on this side, we see Israel and her God. Notice in part one of our sermon text, the beginning of our sermon text, 45, 14 through 19, that God prophesies the future of both of these groups. He says, here's what the future looks like for the idol manufacturers and their gods. Look at verse 14. Thus says the Lord, the wealth of Egypt, the merchandise of Cush, and the Sabians, men of stature, will come over to you and be yours. They'll follow you. They will come over in chains and bow down to you. In the future, God tells Israel, 
that the nations are going to come to you and they're going to come to you in servitude. This sounds ridiculous to Israel because Israel's a small little nation. But remember, God has promised that he's going to make a mighty nation and they're going to bless the world and inherit the earth. So God says in the future, all of these nations are going to be coming to you and notice that they're coming in servitude. But notice what they say at the end of verse 14. The nations this is. The nations admit, surely God is with you and there is no other, no gods beside him. Why? Because God just put his power on display through his providence so that his people would enjoy freedom and forgiveness of sins. And the nations look at it and go, surely your God is the real deal. He is the only God. There isn't any other. To emphasize this point, chapter 46 begins very much the same way not talking about the nations like Egypt and Cush or these Sabian men of stature, but some of their gods. Now here in chapter 46, it's specifically mentioning the gods of Babylon, that God says Cyrus is going to come in and destroy you. Notice what happens as God, through his strange providence, works out his good purposes to save Israel. Chapter 46, verse 1, Bel bows down. Bel is the father god of Babylon. Father Bel has a son named Nebo. As Bel, father, is bowing down, what's happening with son Nebo? He stoops. And Babylon's idols are on beasts and livestock. These things that you carry are born and they become burdens for weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. These idols, Bel and Nebo, can't save Babylon from my man Cyrus. But they themselves... Your gods are being carried off by cows into captivity. That's how powerful your gods are. So God says in the future to idol manufacturers and their gods, you're all going to be shown to be exactly what you are. No gods whatsoever. But verse 17, what is the future for Israel? Verse 17, but Israel is saved by the Lord. We could just stop right there. On this side of the equation, Israel is saved by whom? Their Lord. Why? Because God says, I am the Lord. There is no other. We'll keep reading. Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation. Aren't you glad we kept reading? It's not just in time and history. 
national Israel being saved from national enemies like Babylon or Persia. But it is spiritual Israel being saved for eternity from spiritual enemies like sin and death and the wrath of God. You shall not be put to shame. To be put to shame means to put your hope in something and then that is disappointed. Like investing in a stock that climbs for a little while, you invest a little more, climbs for a little while, and then all of a sudden it falls and loses all of its value. You were put to shame. You lose all your money. God says, when you put your trust in me, you will never be disappointed, never be put to shame. I will always keep my promise and deliver. Why? Verse 18, for. Here's the reason. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens. And then by the way, he's God. He's the one who formed the earth. He made it. He established it. He didn't create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. He said, I am the Lord and there's no other. I didn't speak in secret in a land of darkness. I didn't say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I'm the Lord. I speak truth. I declare what's right. God says, I'm the God who started this whole thing. I created everything. And from the very beginning, I'm the God who has declared that I am going to restore my kingdom on earth through Abraham and his seed. And I'm doing all of this to show you that I keep my promises. So God prophesies the future of the idol factory makers and their gods. Servitude. Admitting that God is the only God and then being put to shame. Their gods stooping and bowing down. But on the other side of the equation... Israel and her God, Israel will be saved with an everlasting salvation because that's what God is going to do to show the glory of His grace. So with that in mind, Israel, I mean, pardon me, God speaks to both of these groups. The first one that He addresses are those who manufacture idols and their gods. He, he looks at them and he says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. To turn to me, what do they have to do first? Turn from their idols. So God's message here in chapter 45 is turn from your idols and turn to me for salvation. So look there in verse 20. He calls all of the idol idol manufacturers together. He says, assemble yourselves. Come on, let's talk. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that can't save. He says, declare your case. Take counsel together. Try to figure this thing out. I've been telling you this all along. I'm God. There's no other. 
I'm a righteous God and a Savior. There's none besides me. And then he declares that wonderful invitation that is unprejudiced. It is an open invitation to every nation and every person. Look where your gods are taking you. Look what your religion is doing for you. In the end, it's going to come to absolute nothing. There isn't a pantheon of gods. I'm the only one. You can't throw away religion or have a self-styled religion. I'm God. You're going to have to reckon with me in the end. So with all of that knowledge, turn away from your false religions. Turn to me and be saved. What a gracious God. I think if I were God, I'd be like, you bunch of little jerks, you. You think that you are going to... I'd be done with all y'all. Not God. In His grace. He's glorifying Himself by rescuing idol manufacturers like me. Like you. But we'll get that, that in a minute. I love what he says. Look at verse 23. I've already told you this in advance. What does he tell them? Verse 23. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. That's going to be the end game. So turn to me now. Verse 24. The idol manufacturers and their nations, what are they going to say in the end? Verse 24, look at it. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me. Our righteousness and strength. Only in the Lord is the right way to live. To him shall come and be ashamed. Pardon me. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. So everyone who is angry with God is going to come, bow their knee, swear allegiance, and admit that only in the Lord is righteousness and strength. And then verse 25. On the other end of the equation, in the Lord. Again, just like only in the Lord, verse 25, in the Lord all of the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Our great joy is going to be in the fact that God has taken away our sin and made us righteous before him so that we can enjoy his blessings rather than the curse of being lawbreakers for all of eternity. But where is all of this? In religion? No. Only in Yahweh. L-O-R-D is not just the Hebrew word for God like whatever God, but it's only in the personal covenant God of Israel. Only in Him 
can these things be found? Listen, friends, if you ever look around and see other people flourishing in their religion or really enjoying their life totally apart from God, just keep this in mind. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will swear allegiance and everyone will admit that only in the Lord is everything that we've ever wanted. So part three, all of chapter 46, God then turns to his people who it seems are not just intrigued but a bit envious of the gods of the nations. Because at this point in their history, they've stopped sacrificing. They have stopped, you know, going to church. (laughs) There's no song in their heart anymore. They're not giving to the Lord. They're not serving the Lord. They don't have any heart from God. Isaiah has told us 25 different times now in our study that these people are rebellious and far away from God. Here, even at the end of this, he says, you are transgressors. You are stubborn and you're far away from righteousness, which is the way you're supposed to be living. Far away from it. And it's because they're looking around at all of the other religions and all of the nations and saying, you know, maybe we're wasting our time with this one God and this ancient book and these, you know, this promise of a Messiah that's not coming yet. So God calls his people, just like those who manufacture idols, he says, turn from every other God. But the emphasis here is not turn to me. It's trust me. Christian, those of you who have already, quote unquote, turned to the Lord by faith in Jesus Christ, it's it's our proclivity to keep looking away and looking at other things, isn't it? God says, All of that is going to come to nothing. It's a sham. Everyone who follows that is going to be put to shame. But you turn away from that. Trust me. Trust me. And I'll give you three reasons why. Here's three reasons you should trust me, God says. Look at verse 3 and 4. Because of who you are. Trust me because of who you are. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me. The word born is the language of giving birth. It's, I'm the one who brought you forth from the womb. You have been born by me, not like those who manufacture idols who have to bear and carry them. I carried you from the womb, verse 4, and even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save you. Isn't that good? That's who you are. Christian, listen to me this morning. God has made you. 
He has taken you from the world and he has made you part of his new covenant people by faith through grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given birth to you as a new creature in Christ. Don't turn away from him, but turn to him and trust him because just as he has given you life, he says, even until your old age, I will carry you. That would be Bill Myers's testimony, even as he laid in his hospice bed. Up to the final days and the final breaths, as I sat beside Bill's bed, I looked at him eyeball to eyeball, and I said, Bill, let me read you what our sermon text was for this past week. And at the time, it was Isaiah 43 where God says, and just imagine me saying, Bill, this is what God says to you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you walk through the fire, I will be with you. Because I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel. That's who you are, and only by the grace of God. He's made that. He says, I gave birth to you, I will carry you, and I will save you. I'll deliver you. Second reason. Because of who he is. God calls his people to turn from other gods and to trust him for salvation because of who he is. Look at verse 5. Through seven, to whom are you going to liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? God explains who he is in contrast to everyone that we sort of look with intrigue and envy. He said, just remember that those who have enough money take their money. They hire a goldsmith to make them a god. And then they fall down to that. God that was made and they worship it. And then they have to carry it and put it in place. And by the way, it can't move from that place. And when they cry out to it, it can't deliver. That's the reality of the matter. But in contrast, God is the one who gave birth. God is the one who can hear and answer prayer and can deliver us from our trouble. So reason number three, verse eight through 12, not only because of who you are and who I am, but why should we turn from all gods and trust the Lord God of Israel? Because of what I have done and what I will do. It says I have a long track record of making promises and fulfilling those promises on behalf of my people. You can trust me. And not just the history of what I've done, but what I will do in the future. Read again verse 8 through 13. Remember this. Stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. 
Notice in verse 8, he calls them transgressors. And in verse 12, he calls them stubborn of heart. And yet everything he's doing is still promising to keep his side of the covenant. He's just saying, stop looking at everyone else. Trust me. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there's none other. I am God, there's none like me. I declare the end from the beginning. Here's what I say. My counsel will stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. Verse 11, and in my strange providence, I'm going to call Cyrus, Persia, and he will come in history, time and place. He will rescue you from Babylon and return you back to Jerusalem. I have purposed. I will do it. And notice in verse 12 and 13, God says, here's my covenant to you. I'm going to give you three things. My righteousness, my salvation, my glory. I'm going to restore you to the way that it was supposed to be. I'm going to secure your soul forever. And I am going to allow you into my presence where my glory is. The presence of God is what we have been banished from ever since we sinned in the garden. So God says, I'm going to restore you to righteousness, salvation, and my presence forever. Friends, how does that apply to us this morning? That was history. That's time and place. That's a national people being saved from a national enemy like Babylon through a very strange providence of the emperor of Persia named Cyrus. Time and place. It's already done a couple of thousand years ago. And yet here we are as God's people still a bit intrigued, still a bit envious of how other people live, still struggling with manufacturing our own puny little pitiful idols. Aren't we? We really do. We really don't trust God for all of the things that we want in life. We really do look for those things somewhere else. And God says, all of that stuff, it's going to come to nothing the promises that that stuff makes, it'll put you to shame. It'll disappoint you every time. But not me. I'm the Lord. There is no other. So ask yourself the question this morning. What idols might you be manufacturing? I had to chuckle this week when I was considering idols. None of us like to talk about idolatry. We don't want to admit it. We figure we have them, but we just kind of, we don't think in those terms very often, do we? We think of little gold, silver statues, wooden things, maybe a hut somewhere in Africa, like I've seen in South Africa. Uh, Nicholas McDonald wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition called, Hello, I'm your idol. Here's just a little piece of it. Hello, I'm an idol. Don't be afraid. It's just me. I notice that you're turned off by my name, idol. It's okay. I get that a lot. 
So allow me to rename myself. I'm what you think about while you're driving on the freeway. I'm your anxiety when you lay your head on your pillow. I'm where you turn when you need comfort. I'm what your future can't live without. When you lose me, you feel like you're nothing. You look up to those who have me. You look on, you look down on those who don't. He continues, you can go to the Gospel Coalition and maybe do a rooting, a little rooting around soul reflection to find out some of those things that might be your idols. David Paulison, brilliant biblical counselor, summarizes it a bit more simply. He says, our idols are basically four things. It's what we want. It's what we fear. It's what we need. It's what we expect. Just think about those four words. Fill in the blank. I want X. I fear Y. I need Z. Should have started earlier in the alphabet. I expect blank. And we might find in those blanks some of the things that are the idols being manufactured by our own hearts, which you know it's real for all of us. So maybe it's wealth or beauty, charisma, intelligence, Success. Maybe for you it's the ideal spouse or the ideal family. Or the praise of others. Friends, none of those things will keep their promises and give you what you really hope for. All of them will dissolve in the end. So pile them up over here on my left. And remember that God is calling us To turn away. What does it look like to turn away from idols? Well, it looks like turning to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, the exact image of God. Jesus Christ is God. When we turn from any of these things, that we look for security and identity and purpose. We turn to Christ and we find in Christ our security. We find in Christ our identity. We find in Christ our true purpose. And all of these things, it's not all of these things are bad. It's that all of these things then are seen in the light of Christ. They're good gifts of a good and gracious God, but they're not to be loved ultimately and to be lived for ultimately. Turn away from every other God and turn to Christ. Trust Him with everything. So what would it look like for you to trust the Lord? 
with your blank today? No doubt, whatever this blank is, is probably not a horrible bad thing. It's just a good thing that has become an ultimate thing. What would it look like for you to actually see Jesus as Lord over that too and trust him instead? I'll leave that question with you. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you very much that you are God and that there is no other. We don't have to wonder about all of these other religions. You have proved yourself through creation, through the miraculous revelation of your scripture, and then ultimately through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all the proof we need. You will prove yourself again on the day that the resurrected Jesus returns and sets up your kingdom on earth forever. And in that day, I pray that by your grace, you will have secured us, made us righteous, given us salvation, and brought us into your glory. So that on that day, we are those who have willingly bowed the knee and said with our tongues that you, Jesus, are King of kings and Lord of lords. And for all of those who haven't bowed the the knee of their heart yet, haven't confessed the great confession of Jesus is Lord, I pray that you would draw them, show them the futility and delusion of every other God. Show them the faithfulness of Jesus. Please do that for our good and your glory. It's in his name we pray, amen.